15 days before Christmas. Let's do a quick poll. How many of you, all your shopping done, everything's wrapped? Overachievers, well done. How many of you have everything purchased, you just haven't wrapped everything yet? Okay. How many of you started, you know, you've started the shopping, but you're not close to being done? How many of you even started yet? Like, you don't even know what, wow, are you serious? 15 days, you haven't even started? Uh, well, I happen to have a love-hate relationship with Christmas, as my wife can attest to. Uh, there's something special, though, about a well-thought-out gift at any time, but a Christmas gift, we'll use that as the analogy. I do love it when there's something that would mean a lot to somebody. I'll use my wife. I love it when she wants something, or I know that it's going to really mean something to her, and I surprise her with it. But I don't believe I have to wait for some special occasion to do this. I love to spoil her when I can. And same with my kids, and this is probably why I have a love-hate relationship with holiday gifts, and, and to be specific, I don't love it when there's this idea that we have to do something because that's the expe- expectation. I mean, can't we just do nice things to the people we love throughout the year without this added pressure of coming to meet some unrealistic expectation at Christmas time? And I'm not a fan of what I call the Christmas expectation. The expectation that we have to buy a gift for every teacher, every relative that we may or may not have talked to all year long, every friend, no matter how close you might be, not to mention that if you buy a gift for one person in the friend group, you feel this expectation then to buy a gift for every friend in that friend group. And then some, somehow, some way, that just continues to cascade on and on and on. Well, I, I think I've hit the age in my life that I feel zero pressure to do any of this in my life. Uh, but somehow we still do every piece of it, it seems like. My solution to the problem is to not buy gifts at all, and then we don't, you know, ups- we'll just set up, upset everybody instead of a, a select group of people. I do have this theory. There are times you can choose who you can upset, and this is one of those times. You can say, I'm not doing gifts, and just upset everybody. But I do think a, a great gift that's thought out means a lot. I think a great gift would actually be if we just spent a few minutes and write a letter or a card to, a, to the people that we love and just tell them how much we actually appreciate them, what we like about them, how they've impacted our lives. As a matter of fact, I would bet if we exchanged gifts this way, we would give a whole lot less of them, right? Because taking the time to sit down and think about how important people are to us and then write those words to express it, express it would take a whole lot more effort than just buying a gift card or some trinket that they may or may not like or want or never use. Now, as a family, we buy so much less than we ever have before in the, in the, in the way of gifts. Our kids are older, so instead of giving gifts, um, we don't really do that, or they don't, can't even produce the list anyway, if I ask them. Last year, I, you know, we asked for the Christmas list gift, and they couldn't really come up with a list, so I, I asked this question, hey, what did you get for Christmas two years ago? They had no idea. They couldn't recall anything that they got. And it kind of reinforced what I had already believed. We're, all, we're just buying gifts because that's what's expected. In doing so, we typically spend more because every gift or every kid has to have the same number of gifts to open, right? So last year and now this year, we've decided to go on vacation together and to create memories that will last. And if you ask my kids what they got for last year, I'd bet a whole lot of money that they could tell you exactly what they got for last year. As a matter of fact, anybody want to take that bet? If I'm right, you pay for the vacation this year. And if I'm wrong, I pay for it. Anybody? Any takers? So I heard somebody will do it. That means somebody's parents are going to do it. 
Uh, now, I understand vacation is a gift in itself, but it's the kind of gift that will produce memories together, and I'm all in on creating memories or adding to our family story. Okay, I'm going to get off my Christmas, go, uh, my Christmas uh, soapbox for a moment, but please don't hear me saying gifts are bad. But I do believe it's always good to pray about why we're doing these kind of things. We still buy gifts for people. Jana still buys a lot of gifts for people. And I do too, but it doesn't always happen in those expected times or expected holidays. And some of you are thinking, what in the world does any of this have to do with Jesus or the Bible? Not much really, but I have the microphone and you don't, so. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. Today we're going to talk about gifts, but it isn't going to be what some of you might be thinking. I'm not simply going to talk about the gifts of the the gift the Bible is, or the gift of Jesus, or the gift of the Holy Spirit, although I do believe those are the greatest gifts we could ever receive. I'm going to talk about those gifts maybe in a little different way, but before we do, uh, let's invite the greatest gift, our Heavenly Father, into our conversation. Will you pray with me? God, just come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, and would you just recenter us this morning? There's a lot going on in the holiday season, but help us just appreciate the gift of you. Help us to open up our our life to you, maybe for the first time or maybe just a little more in our lives. So just come. Do what only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Andy. If this is your first time joining us, I'm so glad you're here as we continue our series, Coming Home. Today we're headed to Psalm chapter 34 in your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one as our free gift to you. See, we like to give out gifts. Actually, as Craig mentioned, everything back there is a gift and is absolutely free to you. A little context to this particular psalm that we're going to look at. This is written by King David, and the background of this psalm is actually 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you want to go back and reread that chapter later. In his fight with Saul, David sought refuge with the Philistines, uh, Philistine king of Gath. Fearing that his enemy might kill him, David pretended to be crazy. He's making marks on the doors. He's he's drooling at the mouth all over his beard. It's kind of an odd trick, but it seemed to work. The king didn't need any more madmen, so he decided he, he would just dismiss David, who then escapes to the cave of Adullam. This episode was certainly not one of his bravest, brilliant moments as King David's checkered past, but he nevertheless looks back on this moment and its dramatic deliverance from God and writes about it in this psalm. So with that in mind, that context, let's read what it says, psalm starting with verse 1. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. We're going to look at four points in this, in this psalm. The first of this is found in the verses we just read. Bless the Lord is the first kind of theme or point in this psalm. David was delighted to be out of enemy territory where he probably shouldn't have been to begin with, but nonetheless he escapes and is now back in the wilderness with his men. Notice the verbs in there. It said bless, praise, proclaim, and exalt. The name of the Lord is also mentioned 16 times throughout this psalm. If initially David was speaking to his own men, then he was calling them to interrupt this warfare that they were in and focus on the worship of God. A Puritan preacher named Thomas Watson wrote, in prayer we act like men or people. In praise we act like angels. 
I like that. In prayer, we would say you act like one of God's kids, but in praise, we act like one of God's angels. David gave thanks to God by magnifying his name. God answers his prayers, provides for his needs, delivered him from trouble, and protected him from danger. David didn't boast about his own cleverness or skill. Instead, he boasts about God, who he is, and what he did. And this is at least an easy step for me to miss. Maybe you are in that camp with me. We miss it when when we think it's our own intellect, it's our own idea, like, oh, I know what to do, or our own skill that gets us out of a situation or, or trouble or circumstances. It's really easy to think that we did it, when in, real, in reality, it wasn't our good idea, it was God's idea for us. It wasn't our own skill, it was the skill that God gave us that we used. David saw God's people as nothing in themselves, they were humble and poor, but they had everything because they belonged to God. They feared God, which we see in a few verses in verses 7 and 8. They were set apart, which means holy or means to, what it means to be a saint. They were, they were used to be servants of God. Knowing who we are in Christ moves us to want to bless God. When we better understand whose we are and who we are not, it helps us bless God. When we act more like the one of God's kids and not act like we're a God ourselves, then we have a better understanding and appreciation of all that God really does in our lives, what he does through our lives and for our lives. And that is the way we turn those back to gratitude and bless God. In the next five verses, we see the next theme. It says, I sought the Lord. Again, this is David speaking. And he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, again, he's talking about himself, and the Lord heard him and saved him from his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around us, those who fear him and rescue them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is a person who takes refuge in him. The second theme or point is seek the Lord. David gave a threefold witness of what God does for his kids. He said he saves, he keeps, and he satisfies. David sought God, and, and he was saved from the fears that were within him. He cried out to God, and he was delivered from all the troubles around him. There are many ways that we can seek God. We can seek God through prayer. We can do that through meditation and, and reading the Bible. We can seek God on a Sunday morning through a worship service, through serving admiring God's creation. We could still fast. We could journal. We could seek solitude. We can go on retreats. We can seek spiritual guidance. We can do that in community in small groups or discipleship group and so many other ways. Think about this. What ways come naturally to you? What ways do you need to be more intentional about? What ways do you need to grow in? I would encourage you, if you could kind of highlight some of those Take those to prayer. Ask God what he would say about how he would like you to seek him in the next season of, of your spiritual journey. The word radiant that we see in verse 5 describes the joyful confidence of a mother who is welcoming their children home. So after we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and become one of his kids, he keeps us and sends his protection. The angel of the Lord that's referenced here is talking about Jesus himself. Those who seek God discover that he not only saves, but he keeps. 
and he also satisfies. It said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste doesn't simply suggest this idea of like, I'm going to sip something or just nibble on, a, on something. It implies feeding on God, feeding on God through his word and experiencing all that he has for us. It means getting to know him better and experience him and enjoying him. It's savoring. It's, it's enjoying. It was a great blessing for David to be delivered from Gath, but it was a greater blessing for him to be protected by God after he fled. The greatest blessing, or we could say the greatest gift, was drawing nearer to God and enjoying God's presence in his life. David found God's word sweet, and he rejoiced in his good goodness. Now, it's hard for us to remember this, so we have to be reminded that the word of God that he feasted on that was sweet isn't the word that we feast on that we think is sweet. It's not the completed Bible that we have. It was just part. David had no idea that the words he was pinning to paper would ever be considered part of the holy writings. This leads us to the next point. Let's read it for ourselves. It says, You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack anything good. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open for their, to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory of them from the earth. Point number three, fear the Lord. We're going to talk a lot more about this next year. But those who fear God need fear for nothing else. It's the fear of the Lord or fear of the God that drives out all other fear. When we fear God, he provides all that we need when we need it. Verse 9 in the Old Testament is the equivalent, if we go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 in the New Testament, that says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God promises to give us what is good for us and to cause all things to work together for good, as it says in Romans chapter 8. What we need and what we want are often different, right? We don't, if we don't receive what we think we need, we have to just trust that God is the one who ultimately knows need and wants in our lives. And he would believe, or he would say, you must not need it at this time. To fear God is to cultivate this deep and respectful relationship with him. It's a healthy reverence to who God really is. But it's also important to understand, to know that the term fear isn't in the context that doesn't necessarily mean a sense of terror or dread. Instead, it often refers to this profound reverence, this awe, this respect for who God is and what God's done. At this point, as he's talking about the, the kids said, gather around, David may have actually gathered around the, te- the, the kids to teach them this secret to real life. Peter in the New Testament actually references those verses in 1 Peter chapter 3. In his instructions, he says, to desire what is good. To love life means to 
desire the full life that God has for us, this abundance life that we read in John 10, 10. And I believe this is really what we all desire. If we really, to drill down, we all desire the kind of life that he's talking about, this abundant life that God offers us. But this life, in contrast with our world, has little to do with our possessions, has little to do with our status, our fame. These are all things that the world say add up to a meaningful, fulfilling life, but every one of them fall up short. Each possession, we, each time we possess something or purchase something, just doesn't seem like it's enough because we always want something else, right? It only lasts for a little while. After each status advancement at work or whatever it is that you're pursuing, doesn't seem like that was what you were looking for. And no matter what the world gives us, no matter what label they give us, we always find ourselves wanting just more. But the life that we actually want has more to do with the character of, and our faith, our desire to honor God, to cultivate this heart, to, to pursue and know Jesus at a deeper level, to cultivate a heart that desires what is good, a heart that delights in God, This is the first step toward the life that overflows with blessing and joy that we can't find on our own. This kind of life can be visible in how then we live our lives. He he gave us some of those examples. Verse 13 reminds us one of the visible signs was to speak what is true. James reminds us if we can't control the tongue, we can't control the body. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles, Proverbs reminds us. Ephesians says speak truth in love and speak to nothing evil. None of this is easy in today's world. None of this is an easy thing to walk out day in and day out in our lives, but it can be done with the help of God. Then verse 14 tells us to pursue what is right. This means abandoning sin, like deciding that's not what I want to do once and for all. It means doing good as God gives strength and opportunities being a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Pursue here means that we have to work at it with the help of God. It isn't just, you know, cowboying up and just going about it our own strength. You will grow tired. And to live a life for God, as verse 15 and 16 tells us, is to expect what is best. We live by faith, trusting God to guide our steps, to take care of us, to help us to do the right thing. We need not fear because his eyes, God's eyes are always on us. His ears are attentive to our prayers. He hears them. God's face is against those who do evil against us. We have a, when we have a correct view of who God is, the fear in the fear of God and what that truly means in the context, we begin to understand there's nothing else to fear. Then we begin to grasp God truly is our provider, which of course leads us to this abundant life And instead of desiring more of the world and what the world says, we just desire more of God. This brings us to the last part of the psalm. It says, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in the spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. 
the Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. Last point, trust the Lord. Nowhere in this psalm does David suggest that life in faith, following Jesus, being obedient, will exempt us from the troubles of life as one of God's kids. We will still face troubles and tribulations and hard circumstances in life, experience loss that we don't want to. He does promise, though, if we do trust and call on him, that he can see us through those troubles. He will be with us. And somehow, some way, in the way that God can, he makes those same troubles a blessing to us and through us for others. He turns our hardships into our story, and our story then becomes the gift that we get to offer to others. It's the thing that helps give other people hope that they too can be seen through with God's help. The promise that God is always near, even when our hearts are broken and our spirits are crushed. This is the promise and the truth, even when it doesn't feel like it's true. It isn't a promise with conditions attached to it. It's just a fact. It's who he is. God is love. The word punished in verses 21 and 22 means condemned. The wicked are condemned. But the righteous, those who have said yes to Jesus, made in right standing with God, they face no condemnation because they trust in God. God redeemed David just as he redeemed Israel from Egypt and just how he redeems us now, even in our times of trouble. This is the gift that's offered to each and every one of us. This is the gift that we've been given. This is the gift that we celebrate. This is the gift we'd honor. We cherish that gift by blessing God, seeking God, fearing God, and trusting God. And just like anybody that would give you a meaningful gift that you loved and they knew that's exactly what you wanted, we'd celebrate that gift, right? We'd, we'd cherish that gift. I'm sure we could all come up with example after example of gifts we've been given that meant something to us on a deep level that we still celebrate, that we still remember, that we still cherish. And God, Jesus, is the best gift giver ever. He knows what not only we want, but he knows what we actually need. And he often gives us both because he's a good father. There's no need for a gift receipt. We don't need to ask where he got it because we don't want to take it back anyway. Right? That's like all the greatest gifts we've ever received. The gift of blessing, the gift of seeking, the gift of fearing, and trusting God aren't just great gifts. These are actually the gifts that bring us closer to Jesus, which is the best gift. The more we pursue, the more we desire. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but that's how it works. Sometimes we get these holy nudges, these, these things that God gives us to go and do or go and say kind of Craig talked about, like if there's any part of you that wants to go on this mission trip or any part of you is thinking, maybe I should go to Operation Give Back on, on Tuesday. That's a little nudge from the Holy Spirit to just take a step of faith in him. And he's going to give you a tremendous gift. You'll receive far more than you give. When I went on my first mission trip, I couldn't wait in my prideful self to go help people, right? And we did great work, and I'm sure it was helpful. But the, what I received in return far outweighed any dollar amount that I invested, any amount of time that I invested, or any acts of service that I invested. 
when I've gone and prayed with Operation Give Back for Families, the exact same thing. Like, it is a blessing. They do receive that blessing. But what you receive in return far outweighs the 30-second prayer that you've given. That's how God's economy works. And the more we enter into it, the more obedient we are in that, the more we get to receive the greatest gifts. That's the fulfillment. You leave there fulfilled. You have joy, and it overflows in your life. That's what this psalm is all about. That's how we do it. In our reading plan uh, last week, I think we are reading through Hebrews. If you've been following on our reading plan, new journals are coming out. We've got those ordered. Excited to talk to you guys about the new reading plan next year. But there was twice in Hebrews, I think it's three and four, that says this two times. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Every time we say no to that little nudge, that little thought that goes in and out of our mind, we go, that was just me. You know, you know my, how to define that, right? Like if it was God or you, it's not always true, but here's how I do it. It's loving, it's biblical, and I don't want to do it, right? Like, that's probably God. That's probably God. I should probably step into that. But every time I say no, it's just a little hardening of the heart. It's not like your heart's hard. It's a hardening that happens. And you have to start to chip away at that by pursuing Jesus, doing all the things that we talked about seeking God, pursuing him with our life. And he chips away at that. But every time we just say no, I think it's like this little hardening that happens. Step in to what God has for you. You have nothing to fear. He's a loving, good God. Grab your connect cards that Craig mentioned when you walked in. I'm going to offer you a few next steps that I'd love for you to write down and drop in the offering that's going to come by in just a few moments. I'm going to have like four next steps. You may have something that you already felt like God had already given you a little nudge. I'd encourage you to go, hey, pray for me about this nudge that God has already given me that I would be obedient, that I would take that step of faith. We'll pray for you. We pray for these every week in our staff. I look at all your next steps every week. And if there's something we need to follow up on, we will certainly do that. But the first one is this, accept Jesus for the first time. Maybe today's the day you take that step of faith and go, Jesus, I want to know who you are. If you offer all the things that are mentioned in this psalm, I want it. I've been pursuing Life, I've been looking for happiness. Jesus doesn't give us happiness. He gives us joy, which is better. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is lifelong. And we do that by going, I'm done doing leading my own life. And we turn away and say, I'm no longer going to be the driver. I'm going to give you the keys, Jesus. You're my Lord and Savior. I want to follow your ways. And his Holy Spirit becomes his spirit, the same spirit that raises Jesus from the dead is active and alive in our lives. He begins to change us from the inside out. We, get, we begin to see things differently. We begin to read things differently. We have a desire to read his word that we've never had. And this is a lifelong process. It's not like all of a sudden, I've arrived, right? I've been a Christ follower for a lot of years. Been the uh, honor to be a pastor for a lot of years now. And I'm still learning to not harden my hearts in those little moments and, and to step out in faith and pursue and every time I don't, I do. I look back like, man, I wonder what God had for me that I missed out on. This is the, the joy that we have in, in 
and pursuing Jesus with our life. And if you've made that decision today, mark that in your Connect card. We just celebrated baptisms in a few weeks ago, but we're going to do them again early 2024. 20, uh, but write, hey, accept the Christ, or hey, I want to get baptized. We'll follow up with you regardless of when they're coming up. Drop it in the offering when it goes by. Be sure to get some free resources back there. You're never meant to do this alone. The second is our memory verse for this series. If you didn't grab one of these memory verse cards for the series, they're out there in the back as well. But we give one of these out every series. Just as our way to kind of put scripture on our hearts. Get into the word, the word gets into us. And this is out of Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. And if you've been around church at all in your life, this is one that you're probably familiar with. But it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a great psalm to do a study on. Really sit in this, pray through this. It's amazing what God will reveal through these short four verses. So take some time, write those down every day at spend a minute reading through that. Here's the application. We've already talked about it the whole series. Bless the Lord. Turn everything that he's done for you into gratitude. Seek God in your own way. Do your quiet time. Pursue. Pray. Find other people that are a little further along than you. If you need help with that, that's what we're here for. I love to have those kind of conversations and encouragement. Fear. right? Just understand who God is and who we aren't. Understand that this isn't like, oh my gosh, God's going to come down in this fire and brimstone God. No, he wants to love us. And all the things that we fear in this worldly, in this world about the things we can't do or or haven't done, God says that's not the most important thing anyway. Those are going to return void, but his word never does. And trust God daily. Let's give our calendars to God. Here's reading this book called uh, Pray First, and that's exactly what it means, Pray First. I mean, that's the premise of the book, but it's really, really cool and to hear the stories like, hey, I wake up in the morning, I'm going to pray before I go and do anything for the day. I'm going to drive into work, I'm going to pray before I drive into work. Oh, I got a meeting, I'm going to pray before I get into that meeting. Pray first, not after. And it's just been really challenging me for me to go, okay, I'm going to hang out with friends. I should probably pray first. I'm going to go grab my coffee at Starbucks. Let me pray before I go in there. Like, I'm not 100% at this, but my percentage is rising, right? Seek God, trust God daily more we do those kind of things, the more God speaks and gives us those nudges and opportunities to trust him. Try to work that out in your quiet time. If you can't do all four, focus on one. What what does God want you to really focus on over this next week? And the last is receive prayer. There's lots of ways you can do that here. We believe prayer is like the primer of everything. Through your Bible reading, through your your small groups, everything should be just primed with prayer. And so you could do that by filling in a prayer request in your Connect card, leveraging the prayer wall in the back, emailing us at prayer at blueashcc.com. But I think one of the most powerful ways is just to receive prayer in person. Now, we have prayer teams that will be up here on my right in the back left-hand corner that I encourage you. Again, if you have that nudge where you feel like God's saying, go up there for prayer. And if you're like, I don't have anything to ask for prayer for. Well, he's asking you to come up for prayer. We'll just pray a blessing over you. Just trust God wants you to go receive prayer. Maybe you come with somebody or, or there's somebody that you trust in these, in these seats. Ask them for prayer. 
There's nothing, quote, special about the prayer teams. They're just being obedient. We've given them kind of a model that we would appreciate how they pray for people. But the power isn't in the words it's spoken. The power is the one you're speaking to. Pursue a life of prayer. This has been my journey since my sabbatical. It is starting to bear some great fruit. And I realized when I even miss those moments, like I'm just not where I want to be spiritually when I've neglected the prayer piece of my faith. I'm telling you, pursue this idea. Dive in feet first. Watch what God begins to do in you before he does anything through you. We're good and receive our offering. And I know not everybody gives uh, every week in a bucket. I know some of you guys are automated like we are, and I just appreciate everybody that continues to invest in God's mission here and just blesses God with your finances, and which in turn blesses us. So thank you for all those that continue to, to invest and believe and, and allow us to steward that those finances well. You can drop your Connect cards in there. While you're doing that, if you want to grab your communion elements, we do this almost every week in remembrance of who God is, what God has done, and what he offers us which is a life to the full, as John 10.10 says. And so we we take this wafer and we remember this is Jesus' body that was broken for us and the juice represents his blood that was shed. And we understand that this is the greatest gift that we could ever been given, that he became the atoning final sacrifice for all sin. That's not a a battle we have to, there'll be a battle we may have to fight, but it's, it's a battle that's already been won. We may still wrestle, we may still struggle, we may stay fall at times, but we are no longer slaves to sin. Once we say yes to Jesus, like, I don't want to live that life, I don't want to do those things, his spirit becomes in. We get community around us. They walk us through that. And when we fall, when we stumble, you have a community of people that helps us back up. And you read that throughout the New Testament. And so when we do this, we're not just remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. Remember that Jesus is always with us. Let me pray. God, thanks for this this psalm of of reflection, of redemption, of what you did in King David's life as a reminder of what you're doing and want to do in our lives, God, that that you want to bless. You want us to, to be blessed. And in doing so, we just turn that all back to gratitude to you, God. You you want us to seek seek to be with you not because of some obligation, but like any good loving relationship to create moments of pursuit to to be with that person. In this case, you, Lord. God, we we do want to fear you in the context of what you're talking about, of love, that to fear the Lord doesn't mean to to be uh, worried about your, your fire and brimstone, to be worried about if we're pursuing the wrong things in the wrong way. That God... The fear is you are so big. You're so loving. God, help us to trust you each and every day with whatever our day brings us. And we'll talk about that next week a little bit. How to just step out in faith and go, I feel like this is what God's telling me to do. And I know it won't be perfect. I know it may cause more hardship. But God, I believe you love me. And I'm going to trust that. You know what I need, even if I don't. Thanks for your constant pursuit of us and loving us the way you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.